0: Hey there, welcome to another edition of LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week, Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips is going to stop by to explain how his lifelong obsession with inflatable vinyl bubbles has really been coming in handy during the pandemic. Plus, we're going to hear a special performance of Do You Realize? From inside one of those bubbles, you do not want to miss it. It's a LiveWire first. Honestly, it's probably a public radio first. We're also going to talk to journalist Daisy Hernandez about her new book, The Kissing Bug, which kind of sounds like a young adult romance novel, but it is anything but. It is a book about a rare and largely misunderstood illness that mostly affects Latinx people in the U.S., uh, including Daisy's own aunt. Okay, so that's the plan. Space bubbles and kissing bugs, another typical live wire, which gets started right after this. Hey, Elena. Luke, there you are. How's it going? It's going well. Welcome back. I know you just went on like your first trip, like out of Oregon since the pandemic.
2: First time making small talk with strangers in a long time or non-Zoom small talk. Uh Uh, I have completely forgotten how to do it. Yeah, um, but it was great to get away.
0: Did it come back to you towards the end of your of your uh, event?
2: Sort of. Um, I think small talk for me may have gone the way of Brazier's. Like I just don't think <laughs> never don't... coming back. No.
0: <laughs> How about recording our radio show over Zoom? Can you still do that?
2: Oh yeah, that's like riding a bike.
0: Perfect. All right, let's do it then. Molly, are we recording?
2: We're rolling. All right,
0: take it away, Elena. <laughs>
2: From PRX, it's LiveWire. This week, writer Daisy Hernandez and rock star Wayne Coyne with music from the Flaming Lips. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of LiveWire, Luke Burbank. Uh, Thank you so much, Elena Passarello.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We have another fun and entertaining show in store for you this week. Of course, uh, we asked the LiveWire listeners a question. Uh, We asked them, what are you most looking forward to doing once the pandemic is really and truly over for good? (laughs) Really? I think when we initially came (laughs) up with this question, it was, what are you looking forward to doing now that the pandemic is almost over? We've had to modify that a little bit, but we are curious about what folks are excited to do when this thing is finally over whenever that does happen Uh, we're going to read those responses coming up in a little bit first though of course we got to start things off with the best news we heard this week elena what is the best news that you heard all week
2: Oh, well, for me, hands down, the best news comes from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Sure,
0: (laughs) as it often does.
2: I know a lot of people know Mechanicsburg for one reason, and one reason only, that it's the birthplace of Bret Michaels from the band Poison.
0: Oh, every rose has its thorn. That's true. Every Mechanicsburg has its Bret Michaels.
2: (laughs) That's true. I think Ricky Rocket from Poison is also from there, so I'm sorry not to lead with that as well. Sorry, Ricky. Wow,
0: it's a real hot spot. For a certain kind of hair metal.
2: But no members from Poison are a part of this best news story. Um,
0: Okay. So what's happening in Mechanicsburg that, that made it qualify for your best news this week?
2: There is a cat. Big surprise. (laughs) A rescue cat named Truffles, who was rescued by an optician in Mechanicsburg named Danielle Kroll, who specializes in helping very, very young patients with ocular issues like babies, Mm. toddlers, um, really young people, preschoolers.
0: Probably people who it can be a little challenging to convince them as to the reason why you're putting, you know, these glasses on their head, because they're probably just thinking, boy, this seems like a hassle.
2: Yeah. Even though, I mean, have you ever seen a little baby in a pair of glasses? It's the cutest thing I've ever seen.
0: I also assume the baby is smarter than me. I know. Just (laughs) immediately. Like, that's a smart baby.
2: Well, um, glasses are also not something that are immediately comfortable to cats, But Truffles is a very special cat, uh, very well-trained, likes to do little tricks and fetch balls and sit and shake, and also is pretty chill to wear lots of different kinds of glasses that match the glasses that Dr. Krull's young patients are using.
0: Wait, so the doctor has trained (sighs) Truffles the rescue cat to wear glasses to kind of model for her young patients uh, kind of what this can look
2: like yeah and so there are all these adorable pictures on truffles instagram page truffles the kitty of adorable little children in glasses feeling more comfortable because there's an adorable cat in glasses like a black and white tuxedo cat sitting right next to them and it is so cute
0: (laughs) i can't believe the internet is even operational (laughs) right now as you and i sit here because i feel like that's The recipe for literally melting the internet down. Yeah,
2: also my brain. I mean, there's just, it's Pennsylvania kids and kitty cats. So I I can't believe I survived that news story.
0: (laughs) Uh, The best news I heard all week happened just a bit to the west in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Hmm? And yes, Elena, I did call the Dunkin' Donuts off of 138 (laughs) in Stoughton (laughs) to confirm the pronunciation. Nice. Uh, back in July, there was a post on one of those kind of like neighborhood, uh, online kind of billboards, uh, in Stoughton. Someone said, Hey, is this huge inflatable beach ball yours? It's at the end of Highland hmm. and nobody responded. But what people did start doing was going down to where this giant, and I mean, it's like the size of a grown person, Whoa. beach ball. People started going down and signing the beach ball and taking it around town and rolling it down the street. And it has become this summer like the mascot of Stoughton, Wisconsin. By the way, shout out to Wisconsin Public Radio where this show is on. Uh, They had a contest to name the beach ball. Oh, no. And there were two finalists. Uh, One was Beachy and the other was Roly Poly Oli. Oh, Oli. Can you guess, Elena, which one won? <laughs> Roly Poly Oli, I hope. I mean, by a landslide. <laughs> it was like 10 to 1, Roly Poly Oli. So it's now, I mean, it's like keeping this town connected is the beach ball. Is where is Roly Poly Oli? Everyone's tracking the ball. It's so cute. If the ball gets a tear <gasps> or a rip, they fix it. I saw a picture of somebody from the local fire department using a stethoscope to listen to Roly-Poly-Oly's heartbeat to make sure everything was okay. Aww. And this has just become this, like, fun focus this summer for the people in the town who say that, you know, because of the lockdown and all that stuff. And there's just been so much grim news. Yeah. And, and stuff on social media can always get contentious. Everybody can agree that roly poly Olie is adorable. <laughs> And is they're, now they're talking about naming a park in Stoughton, Wisconsin after roly poly Please.
2: And they don't know where the ball came from. Is that no right? No one's claimed oh. the ball
0: at this point. That's what's so great about it. It's like a Disney film. It's like the ball that saved a town.
2: Yeah. Starring like Kevin Hart as the voice
0: of <laughs> of roly poly Coming soon to a theater near you where hopefully we will be able to safely sit together and watch this instant classic.
2: And save a space for the ball.
0: <laughs> you got to buy two seats for Roly-Poly-Oly. That is the best news that we heard all week. All right, let's talk to our first guest. Uh, she is the author of the award-winning memoir, A Cup of Water Under My Bed. Her latest book is The Kissing Bug. A True Story of a Family, an Insect, and a Nation's Neglect of a Deadly Disease. Uh, And in it, she explains in meticulous but also really fascinating detail uh, something called Chagas Disease, uh, which largely affects Latinx people around the world and here in the U.S., including Daisy Hernandez's own aunt, which we're going to hear about. Daisy Hernandez, welcome to LiveWire.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Can we just sort of start at the beginning here uh, of, of this story, I guess you could call it. What is the so-called kissing bug disease?
3: The kissing bug disease or Chagas disease is a parasitic illness uh, that's transmitted by these insects, uh, colloquially named kissing bugs in English. And it's a neglected disease um, that can be pretty deadly. One in three people who are infected can go on to develop pretty severe cardiac complications because of this parasite um, about 6 million people have it in the Americas, mostly that's South America, Central America, and Mexico. And in the U.S., we have about 300,000 people who have this disease, and um, it's a zoonotic disease, of course. It jumps from wildlife to us, and disproportionately in the United States, it affects Latinx immigrants like my auntie, who I write about in the book.
0: Yeah, this story is very personal to you because this is something that your your aunt Uh, had to live with the kind of long-term effects of having uh, Chagas disease that she contracted in Colombia. What did that look like in her life? And what did it look like for you in terms of how your family talked about it? Like, did you know as a kid that this is what was afflicting your Tia?
3: Yeah, I did know that. I knew the word. I knew that there was a certain level of discomfort in our family, a sort of fear of stigma, because it was seen as being rare and you know we didn't know anyone else who had Chagas disease and this was back in the 1980s so it was also unfortunately happening in the context of the AIDS crisis at that time and i think my auntie as an immigrant to the us was also very sensitive to being an outsider she was she was also very much a kind of striver immigrant. She, she wanted to establish herself in the U.S. She wanted to become a teacher and pursue that kind of dream. She basically spent her whole life never speaking about her illness to any of her coworkers or people outside of our family. Um, So there was a lot of mystery around it. Part of the reason that I wanted to work on the book was because I realized how little I knew, even though she was in and out of hospitals over the years. In her case, the parasite did not attack the heart. It attacked the gastrointestinal system, which is what happens for some people. So she had parts of her large intestine removed. There came a time where she was hospitalized for quite a while because of her esophagus was being attacked by the parasite, so she couldn't eat. Um, so, and, and she finally lost her life um, to this disease. It doesn't have a cure once you're in that chronic stage, which unfortunately most people uh, are, don't get a diagnosis in those first two months where medication could be helpful. It's a disease that disproportionately affects poor people from Latin America.
0: Uh, you write in this book about how complicated your relationship was with your aunt. How much of that do you think, if any of it, is attributable to her illness?
3: That's an interesting question. So I write in the book that we were always um, in conflict over something. And when I was young, it was her her wanting me to be a good girl. And I guess I was a little feminist at the age of five and had opinions (laughs) and was happy to tell her my opinions. And then later in my life, when I came out as queer, as bisexual, she really struggled with that and could not accept that. Where it connects with this disease is that she very deeply cared what other people thought of her and how other people saw her. And she was very determined, as I said, to have the kind of middle class lifestyle that she did not have growing up. And she comes from she came from a family of very modest means in Colombia. So she was very much despite her disease. And and in some ways, I think sometimes because of her disease, like intent (laughs) on overcoming and on having uh, this good life. But it also, writing about it also helped me to appreciate that sometimes she she may not have been as interested in me being an obedient child as much as she wanted me to be a Colombian child. Like, she wanted me to have, like, certain aspects of her culture where girls are raised to be much more submissive and polite. And that did not, you know, include room for an outspoken, slightly obnoxious niece, <laughs> queer niece.
0: It didn't help that your sister was, like, the sort of picture of of, of perfection in your aunt's eyes, right?
3: Yes. In my perspective, my sister was the golden child. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's also a common dynamic in families, right? Where Mm -hmm. one sibling Mm -hmm. becomes a bit of the black sheep and the other one becomes the golden sheep.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, We're talking to Daisy Hernandez. Uh, Her book is The Kissing Bug, A True Story of a Family, an Insect, and a Nation's Neglect of a Deadly Disease. Uh, We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll have more with Daisy when we come back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back.
2: Oh, congratulations.
0: But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th.
2: Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies.
0: Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire, Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this.
2: If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes,
0: whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you.
1: Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre alcohol now. ZBiotics pre alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to ZBiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
0: Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Daisy Hernandez. She is the author of the book, The Kissing Bug, a true story of a family, an insect, and a nation's neglect of a deadly disease. Let's talk about this actual bug. I mean, kissing bug is a deeply misleading way to describe this thing that can pass on the parasite. Where are these bugs found? What are, what are they actually doing when they're sort of infecting people?
3: Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned the name as being much sweeter than the insect deserves. And to be fair, these insects have been in the United States for quite a long time. And in the Southwest and in Texas, people actually have nicknamed them bloodsuckers, which is probably more accurate mm-hmm. as a nickname for these insects. You know, they target mammals. um, So it's not just us humans, it's also dogs. Dogs throughout Texas have been found to carry Chagas disease. Um, It's also possums, you know, all sorts of uh, small mammals that these insects can get a hold of. They're actually uh, called triatomine insects. They're in that uh, family of assassin bugs. And they... Uh, they're a bit vampiric or uh, Mm vampire-like in the sense that they don't like the daylight, they don't like the sun. So they are spending the daytime hiding out. And in the U.S., that oftentimes looks like hiding out in a nest for rodents or for anything like that. And they're definitely found in South America, Central America, and Mexico in more rural areas. And so they will hide in the crevices of people's homes and come out at night. They will also hide under the bed as well. I mean, they're very uh, resilient insects. (laughs) Yeah. And- Unlike other insects that we think about in terms of transmitting disease, these insects are not doing it with a bite. They are biting you, um, but the parasite's actually being deposited in their fecal material.
0: As if this needed to be a more upsetting transmission. (laughs) That was a very vivid part of the book for me was describing essentially how this is transmitted. I mean, it's, it's about as gross as you can imagine.
3: It's it's not pleasant. Absolutely. It's not pleasant. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, what happens is um, people, you know, when they're asleep, they don't necessarily know that the bites are happening. So they might rub their arm, then introducing that fecal material with the parasite right into the wound or into the eye area or the mouth. In terms of the insect, it's a pretty complicated um, process, right? Because the parasite has to then go through the digestive tract of the insect to come out on the other end. But it's a little bit different than what we usually think of when we think about bug bites, mm-hmm. the bite itself being the transmission point.
0: We're talking to Daisy Hernandez. Her new book is The Kissing Bug. You you grew up, I think, you write, with being sort of squeamish about these bugs because they were seen as dangerous and uh, frankly are just sort of gross. And then you end up in the book in a lab with a whole lot of these kissing bugs. How was that for you?
3: That was terrifying. Uh, yeah. When I started working on this, I would actually, you know, I, I, would, I needed to read a num- quite a number of science articles and I didn't realize that these scientists are not squeamish. <laughs> and so they included photographs, sometimes very detailed photos of these insects. And there's many species of them, I, I should say. So, um, so I would open up these PDFs and then try to manipulate the documents so that I could read the text but not look at the photos. So I would kind of like <laughs> (laughs) pull the PDF
2: off screen. (laughs) Your self-censorship.
0: You weren't just sort of trying to dramatize that for the book. I mean, you really were very (laughs) uncomfortable with this stuff initially.
2: Very,
3: very uncomfortable. Yep. There's no dramatizing in the book. It really (laughs) was terrible. And then I ended up in this lab, you know, and I tell my students, it's, um, you really never know where nonfiction is going to take you because yes, I end up in this lab, with these shelves uh, full of jars of kissing bugs uh, or blood suckers, and you know the, the the research assistant who's showing me these insects just pulls a jar off the shelf and it's like, "Oh, look!" You know, puts <laughs> it up in my face, and that was one of those moments where I took a step back and I was really glad that I had my notebook with me and my pen because I held on very tightly for dear life, and <laughs> so yeah, it was really it was quite a shift. <laughs>
0: Uh, what would you like to see changed in terms of of, of U.S. health policy? Like you said, uh, most of the people dealing with this are often from Latinx countries. How can we do a better job of helping to take care of these folks?
3: I have big ambitions and then more practical little ambitions. <laughs> so my big ambition is I would love to see our health, entire healthcare system turned around so that it's not profit driven. Mm. And it, that was an important chapter for me to include in the book, you know, just the the challenges that there are in terms of getting the pharmaceutical industry interested in creating treatments and pursuing treatments for diseases that affect poor people where there's not going to be a profit for them. Um, but then, you know, on, on the other hand, you know, before we revolutionize the entire healthcare industry, <laughs> you know, more <laughs> practical ambitions are like getting prenatal screening. For Latinx moms in the U.S., um, California also uh, California has the highest number of people with this disease, and there's there is uh, essentially very little public outreach uh, and public education. Some of that is beginning to happen for medical schools. Um, the CDC has awarded certain grants, and so there's more awareness now than there was seven years ago when I started this book. But it is still so uh, little, you know. So I, I want a doctor. And nurses in the emergency room who might see a Latinx patient coming in with, you know, heart failure, who otherwise is very healthy and in, is in their 40s, that they will think about Chagas disease and consider, wait, should we be testing this person's rather than classifying them as, as just sort of un- of unknown cause?
0: Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the two parts of this book. There's the the science journalism part of it, and then there's the the memoir piece. Um, And I'm just curious, in writing the memoir piece about your aunt, who you had a complicated relationship with, what do you think she would have made of this book? I mean, she was sort of private about her battles with Chagas disease. um, But also, I would have to imagine she would be proud of of the work you put into this. It's a very, very well-researched and well-written book.
3: Yeah, I've thought about that. And I, I think she would have mixed feelings. I think that exactly what you said. I think she would have been very proud of the work because she was always, she did go on to become a a teacher in the United States and she taught Spanish at the elementary school level and she got her master's degree in Spanish literature. So I think she would have been very proud of me doing this work. I think she would have been amazed at how much I learned about the disease. I think so much of it would have been new for her as well, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if she would have been happy about me being out as a queer person in this book. And probably about sharing about her own life. but it's it's so hard to know. I still kind of hold on to the idea that people change with time, and um, she may have begun to be more open, especially if I would have been able to have introduced her to other families that had this disease. Mm-hmm. So because she lived and died like you know, in isolation essentially with this disease.
0: Well, uh, she comes off as a fascinating person and just an absolute survivor in this book. Daisy Hernandez. Thank you so much for coming on Livewire.
3: Thank you so much.
0: That's Daisy Hernandez right here on LiveWire. Her fascinating book is The Kissing Bug, a true story of a family, an insect, and a nation's neglect of a deadly disease. And it is out now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Travis Spokes of White Plains, New York. Travis is part of the LiveWire member community and is generously supporting us with a donation each month, uh, which we are so thankful for because it's how we're able to do the show and send it all the way out to beautiful White Plains and everywhere else. So big thanks this week to Travis Spokes for making LiveWire possible. This is LiveWire from PRX, of course, each week. we would like to ask the LiveWire listeners a question this week. We asked, what are you most looking forward to doing once the pandemic is really and truly over for good? We had to add that last part, <laughs> sadly, during the last couple of weeks. So, Elena, the listeners have been sending in their responses. What are they saying?
2: <laughs> These are so great. Uh, how about this one from Taylor? Taylor, Uh, is looking forward to dating apps. Cringe emoji Mm. monkey with its hands over its (laughs) eyes emoji. It's been a long year.
0: (laughs) That See, that doesn't sound like Taylor is that excited to get back to it, but that's part of what's happened now that we haven't been able to do so many things. Stuff like online dating and like meeting somebody for like a cringy safe coffee, Mm -hmm. which used to be the bane of single people's existence. It's now something people are desperate to do just because of lack of being able to do it
2: yeah i, I remember the dating apps were advertising like you could still do dating on zoom <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, right. i don't think it worked out i think people were i don't
0: like, want to do zooms that i'm getting paid to be a part of yeah let yeah. alone <laughs> voluntary <laughs> dating zooms no thank you what's another one
2: how about this one from theo theo says i am french exclamation point i want to kiss people on their cheeks again exclamation point
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's going to happen in uh, places and cultures where you know a cheek kissing was kind of part of the whole thing. Like that's one of the. I mean, they're talking about handshakes not coming back in the U.S. Yeah, which I don't think would be a big loss. I'm wondering <laughs> cheek kissing. I mean, that also seems like something. All due respect to the listener. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be the end of the world if that doesn't come back. <laughs> What's something else that uh, the Livewire listeners are excited to get back to if and when we can get back to things?
2: Oh, this one's really interesting to me. It's from Brian. Brian is looking forward to getting sweaty in a mosh pit. I literally haven't done that in 20 years, but bring it on. So this wasn't even a part of Brian's life pre-pandy, you know, mm-hmm. a recent life at least. But now yeah. the pandemic has made him want to like jump back into this. Much older pastime. I totally feel that way. I want to do things that I haven't done, like jump on a trampoline or um, get in a ball pit. Watch
0: yourself. I was jumping on a trampoline at my nephew's house. Oh no! And uh, every bounce, my life flashed before my eyes.
2: Is it harder once you're on the fourth floor, as you and I both are?
0: Uh, the fourth floor of life. <laughs> yeah. I, it it felt, and you know, when I was trying to brag and tell them that I could do a backflip, oh, and no. then these are my just. Absolutely adorable nephews, Jack and Abe. And they said, we want to see that backflip, Uncle Luke. (laughs) And so I was like, do I kill myself trying to impress these children? And the answer is yes. Did you try Yeah, I got about 80% of the way around. Belly flop on the trampoline (laughs) and- live to tell about it.
2: Are you looking forward to the emergency rooms post-pandemic?
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward, uh, yeah, exactly, to them not being full of people suffering from uh, you know the pandemic, and there'll be more room for me and my trampoline-related injuries, <laughs> uh, which are many. All right, one more thing that the LiveWire listeners are excited about getting back to at some point.
2: How about this one from Minda? Minda wants to visit places I haven't been to before. And this I'm feeling hardcore because I think the first sort of year of getting back to normal, I'm going to be visiting places I have been to before to see my family, Mm -hmm. my friends, to follow up on some business stuff. But just like wild travel with abandon and discovering new places. I feel like that's a little bit further away. So I'm looking forward to that, too.
0: I've gotten sort of a little bit sedentary over the years where uh, traveling, you know, far distances maybe to Europe or South America mm-hmm. almost seems like more stressful than relaxing mm-hmm. to me. But I think you're right that the pandemic has done such a number on my brain. That I heard Sylvia Puglioli talking <laughs> about a town in Italy the other day, and I was just like immediately thinking, "I how do I sell all of my possessions and just go <laughs> to this place <laughs> where she was sitting in a square chatting with someone because it sounded like just... The most perfect place on earth. So I think we're all going to be trying to change our scenery as much as possible once we're allowed to do that. All right. Let's get our next guest onto the show. He is the front man of what is definitely one of my favorite bands in the world. The Flaming Lips (laughs) they have been together for over 30 years and they've released 17 albums at last count. They've won multiple Grammys and they put on these live shows that are are weird, but like in the best possible way. Um, including a show that I actually went to back in March. This was in Oklahoma City. They had their entire audience and the band sealed in these inflatable vinyl bubbles that they blew up with leaf blowers. This was to keep everyone safe from COVID, and it actually worked, by the way. Uh, We're going to be talking about that show a lot coming up. Anyway, I have been a fan of this guy's for decades, and I am so excited to welcome Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips to LiveWire. All right.
4: Oh, some applause. I love that. (laughs) Applause always has an effect on you, doesn't it? Yes.
0: Well, thank you. Even after a year and a half in quarantine and pandemic and all that, you're still like the applause of a live crowd still kind of energizes you? Well,
4: I have to say, you know, even previous to the pandemic um, and the lockdown and the lack of um, audiences and all that, I... I was always reminded to how appreciative it is to get someone's energy and yay and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our little boy, uh, Bloom, he had his, his second birthday party. And I see that he's so used to applause and people <laughs> saying yay that whenever he hears it, he's just in a great mood. And I don't know if he thinks it's for him or if he just thinks this is just a, a good moment. So... I'm taking my cue from him that every time I hear it, I feel like, oh, good. <laughs> something positive yeah. something positive and good and energetic is happening. Yeah. I- I've noticed that
0: on stage you have a move that you've been doing for years where you kind of like put both of your palms up and you kind of like you're sort of like energizing the crowd. It seems like you're always trying to get the audience as into this moment as you can get
4: them. Well, you know, it, it's a it's a funny thing, this this, you know, as an. I don't always think of it like I'm an entertainer, you know. But sometimes the audience, they want to be left off the hook, that you can scream and go crazy. This isn't about being quiet and giving respect, you know, to the to the artist up there. That's wonderful, too. But I like, I like them to know, like, hey, you can be as energetic and as loud and as crazy as you want, and it's not going to mess up the show, you know. So I'm always... You know, I, I want people to be as free and as crazy as they want. You know, we we put balloons uh, into the audience, and the balloons, you know, obviously come back and hit us in the face and all that. We don't care, and the and the confetti's flying everywhere. You know, I I like the idea that it's it's a chaotic, joyful, out of control moment, and that could be the whole Flaming Lips show if if that's the way you want it. You know,
0: right. We're talking to Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips here on LiveWire. Speaking of live shows and um, getting chaotic, uh, you are due to go out on tour this summer and this fall. How are you uh, planning that when there's also been this rise of the Delta variant and now like a lot of question marks around that kind of stuff?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the same uh, quagmires that we have been in, you know? You always are a tipped a little bit into being optimistic like this thing may be over another month, so we're planning on what's gonna happen six months from now. And then the minute you do that, you're kind of like, oh, my God, what have we done? You know, are we making this thing worse? Because Oklahoma isn't it's not the highest of the Delta variant areas around the country, but we're, you know, we're third or fourth or whatever, you know. And so, you know, I still feel a great responsibility that I'm, you know, I'm here, but I'm traveling around the world, and, and am I bringing this to places that are safe? I'm I'm in a place that's not maybe as safe as their city. So I'm going to do my best. I'm still, at the moment, I still feel like I'm going to perform as much as I can in the space bubble. Oh, okay. And I think the, the guys at the front of the stage are going to have these sort of plexiglass protectors. So I think we're going to be doing some of that at least into August and just see how That feels we're not, we're still not having big, you know, uh, crowds backstage, big things in the dress rooms and stuff and just still go about it. Like we can still be carrying this around and we can still be giving it to young people. And yeah, it's, it's still, um, it's, it's, I, I think it's still scary.
2: I think I saw you in the bubble like 19 years ago in Pittsburgh. So (laughs) it must be so funny that it's now this kind of functional public health (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that it was just this whimsical you know, thing.
4: Well, right. Well, I've had a year and a half to get used to it, but I mean, part of it is still, I don't know how functional it is to everybody else. It's very functional <laughs> for the Flaming Lips, but I don't know if it's functional, you know, in, in general use. But- and can I, Wayne, can I just jump in for folks that aren't
0: familiar? I'll just try to describe this yeah. efficiently. So uh, for a number of years, you've had this big vinyl bubble that's inflatable that you've gotten inside of during shows. This is all pre-pandemic. And Great. sometimes yeah. you walk around on the crowd, you do fun stuff, yeah, and then you did this concert series in Oklahoma City during the pandemic where the crowd, the people who came to the show, they were in bubbles as well so that yep. they were safe right. in this group environment. Uh, and so they, this is a thing that you've been doing for years and years. Sounds like you're going to keep doing it until we know that the pandemic is really over.
4: Well, right. I mean, I think in the same way that we talk about the mask, you know, it's just our way of sort of, of, of putting out there in the, in the world that we're still protecting you from us, you mm-hmm. know, I guess we're the, we're the variant that we sort of feel like because we're traveling to your city, you know, I feel like if you're in a city with your friends and your family and stuff, you know, that's, you're a little bit protected in, in a sense, but, you know, the flaming lips we're getting in airplanes, we're, we're going to be in, you know, six different cities in a week, and it's, you know, if something bad is happening in in Arizona, and we're going to bring it to Los Angeles, you know, I mean, so there's a bigger... Responsibility, I I feel like you know, and just our way of saying we are able to do this, and we we can do this, and we don't we're not saying that everybody should do this, um, and part of it is that we're slightly scared too. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've I've a, a young uh, boy, he's just over two years old, and Stephen has young kids, and Nick has young kids, and Derek has uh, three young kids, and you know, um, when we come home from this stuff you know are we bringing something back you know and and could potentially harm them you know it just it it's just all of it's very scary
2: one of the things that i love about it is that it's it's protective but it's also theatrical it's also a spectacle it's also an event so it makes it Well,
4: I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I try to overlook that and think this isn't just, it's not just a gimmick, you know, but I think it is, it's absolutely both. I mean, it looks like it would be fun. I think it looks funner than it actually is, but... (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, I actually, Wayne, I wanted to ask you about that because we're going to hear a song from
0: one of these uh, space bubble concerts that you did in the spring, mm-hmm. and and I'm gonna I'm giving the listeners a heads up that, that what we're about to hear was actually recorded with you inside one of these bubbles, which I yep. was in Oklahoma City. I was kind of hanging out with you, and I was really struck by actually. The, all of the kind of logistical implications of it, like particularly yeah. for you and the band and trying to hear each other and get it all kind of dialed in. There were yeah. times when there was so much condensation in your bubble that you were like
4: wiping it down
0: with your hands yeah. so you could see the crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Like it was yeah.
4: work no, not not work in that sense. I mean, to okay. be able to be up there, you know, and sing in front of people. I think in those moments it that was it was so much fun and so so uh-huh. ecstatic. You know, I think of all the people in the world who would be slightly used to singing songs in a space bubble, I would be the only one. so you know it's <laughs> even though, like you're talking about, the logistics of how how can you make it all work, the rehearsals and all the you know, fixing all the mechanical things and all the the ways that you can hear and all that sort of stuff. Um, by the time we got in front of an audience, I would have probably forgot that I'm in a space bubble. And the way that it sounds and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you know, most concerts um, are kind of a mess, you know, when you're the performer anyway. And I have to say, you know, in a sense, even though we were in the space bubbles, None of that is all that much different. You know, you're always, you know, in your own little world, hoping that it connects to this bigger audience. For me, I don't know. You know, there is an element of sort of, you know, joyous chaos that every mm. show that you ever do is, is kind of like that.
0: Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to this. It's the Flaming Lips here on Livewire. The Flaming Lips, right here Yay! on Live Wire. I mean, do you realize, recorded uh, inside uh, inflatable vinyl space bubbles so as to keep them and the audience safe. I'm wondering, uh, we're talking to Wayne Coyne, uh, did the lyrics of that song, you've been performing that song for many years now, but considering the moment in time that we're in, you know, there's a line in that song, uh, do you realize everyone uh, you know someday will die? Like, is there a different feeling for you when you
4: perform it in the midst of a pandemic? You know, for me... I I would say, by time we would get to that song in a Space Bubble concert, it really would be a lot more of a triumphant realization. You know, I think sometimes that song, uh, Do You Realize, is just a, a little bit of like, oh, yeah, you're right. We are, we are on a planet uh, floating in an endless sea of space out here. And Oh, yeah, and the sun does go around us. And, <laughs> you know, all these, all these things. I think for the Space Bubble shows, it was almost the opposite. By the time we sang Do You Realize, it was like, oh, my gosh, I, I forgot what horrible chaos and pain the world is in. And I'm here escaping into this, this positive experience.
2: Isn't Do You Realize the state rock song of Oklahoma, right? Well, it, it,
4: it was. I yeah, mean, let's I say, think there's a bit of a complication <laughs> there, right? What happened there, with this? Oh. Well, it's only because I'm so involved. In the local politics, you know, there was a competition, I think it was in 2006 or 2007, so a a long time ago now, where, you know, you could vote on these songs. I think there was a rock song, a folk song, and for Oklahoma, there's even a a country song, you know. Um, And we won uh, the state rock song, and we knew the legislature uh, guy who... Put the bill up. He was a big Flaming Lips fan. He was the one that sort of introduced the bill to the to the Senate. We knew a lot of the senators. We knew a lot of the people involved in it. We even knew the governor at the time. He was a big music fan. Wow. So, you know, I don't want to say that it was rigged in our favor, but I knew we had, <laughs> we had a lot of, lot of Flaming Lips fans. But we always knew that it was like a lot of things with politics. You know, it's temporarily here, but another administration may come in and say, Uh, We're not going to renew this or whatever. And we kind of knew that 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 would happen when the next (laughs) governor came in, which is fine by us. Basically, the Flaming Lips are
0: like the climate change of bands, and depending on who's in power, <laughs> ah. they may be taken seriously or may not. In our winner-takes-all system. Well, I am, right, I am right.
2: the governor of my own heart, and it is still the state rock song <laughs> oh. of Oklahoma in my heart. <laughs> you,
4: you, guys, you guys have, man, you're, you're, you, you combined all the things that I said into something that was that was really great. <laughs> This is LiveWire.
0: I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarella. We're talking to Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips. We have to take a short break, but don't go anywhere because we've got much more coming up. LiveWire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello and Wayne Coyne from right. Flaming Hello. Lips. Their yeah. latest album is American Head. Um, I was spending some time with you in Oklahoma City uh, recently, Wayne, and I was struck by the like pace that you sort of keep up on a daily basis and just the amount of different creative endeavors that you're involved with. What is an average 24 hours like for you? And do you ever just like sit and relax? Or are you constantly writing notes to yourself and just sort of like creating?
4: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, I really do love what I get to do. But, you know, I would say, you know, we've been, the Flaming Lips have been a group since 1983. So I was 22 years old. I've been in the Flaming Lips my entire life. I'm 60 years old now. So that's a long, long time to have absolute freedom you know the job that i have really is one of the weirdest jobs in the world where it kind of is based on you doing what you like you know you're choosing the music that you do you're choosing the way you look you're choosing where you're going to go you're choosing who you collaborate with so you know i take all that and run with it i just think i'm just very lucky that the thing that i love to do is the situation that i'm in i mean even when i was growing up it's you know our our, our house wasn't about music per se. You know, it was, it was creative and it was crazy. And I had older brothers and they had a bunch of crazy friends and motorcycles and drugs. And we would box in the front yard and just be. (laughs) And so I think the, the part of, you know, being in a band and even if you want to call it rock and roll or all that, that part of it, I'm very at home with a lot of chaos and Mm. being creative within the midst of that. I want to talk about
0: your family a little bit, because the latest Flaming Lips album, American Head... I read somewhere that it's sort of based on this kind of imagined intersection of, like, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers <laughs> and one of your brothers. Could you kind of, like, explain what you were thinking with that?
4: Right. Now, you know, you have to go back. It's you know, a few years before Tom Petty died. You know, Tom Petty, now he's, you know, he's part of the mythology of, of mm-hmm. all music or whatever. And he's, he's more revered than ever. But previous to his death, you know, this documentary that the, that he made... It's probably been out for 10 years or so now, but he did talk about the, when Tom Petty, before they were Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you know, they lived in, uh, I forget, in, in, in Gainesville in Florida. Yeah, and they, they were they, like Mud Crutch or something. Yeah, and they made this drive, they were getting ready to to make the drive to Los Angeles where their producer was going to, you know, start to work on their their first record, I suppose. And the producer, I forget his name, but he he had this idea that he would sort of, cut them off at the pass, as they say, and met them in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which Mm -hmm. I live in Oklahoma City, and Tulsa is about 120 miles to the northeast from here. We, We really go up there all the time, all the time, all the time. And at the time when Tom Petty would have been recording up in Tulsa, I know that my older brothers and their drug dealer motorcycle friends would have been back and forth from Tulsa doing crazy stuff really almost every day. And it wouldn't have surprised me at all if my older brother had run into Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. But my older brother, here's the dilemma. If I asked him if he thought he met Tom Petty, he would say yes, even if he, <laughs> even if he didn't. Right. Because you can't resist being part sure. of this great American story. So Stephen and I started to think about there are sometimes these lost Recording sessions, you know, where something happened to the band and they never, no one ever knew about them and they never got famous and never got discovered. But Stephen and I kept imagining this other world where my older brothers and their friends met up with Tom and the band and they all got horribly addicted to drugs and they made this very sad, lo fi, (laughs) homesick record in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh... And the more Stephen and I would talk about this, the more we we started to think, we should make music like that, you know? Not to pretend that we're Tom Petty and not to pretend that we're on drugs, but this type of music that's mm. homesick and you're singing about your mother and your dogs or whatever it is, that's just irresistible, you know, to think, oh, let's make that atmosphere and let's make that be part of the vibe of our
0: songs. I, I mean, this album, American Head, and, and certainly a lot of your other stuff, it is this really interesting intersection of of topics that are in a way a bit mournful, but presented in a way that doesn't leave you feeling sad as the listener,
4: uh, which is a really
0: uh, interesting balance that you're able to strike.
4: Well, I think we got very lucky in that the way that we were presenting the music, you know, we do lots of of ways that the Flaming Lips present themselves or whatever, but in this sense, we, we wanted it to be sort of like storytelling you know, and then, and then the stories would be really about our life. But like always, you kind of mythologize it, and you kind of make it a comic book or a, the Bible or whatever it is you want to you, you want to put it into a, a story. You know, um, and I think that started to really suit us. You know, I mean, for Stephen and I we oftentimes do blend our life together. You know, things that happen to him and things that happen to, to myself, we'll blend them in a song. So, you know, the first two lines are about Stephen, the second two lines are about me, and it's just a great blend of expressionistic stuff. And in that sense, you know, it's the more you are able to sing about your deepest, most personal things, in music... It's almost like the more universal that becomes. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you try to right. say something that everybody's going to understand, it's almost so vague nobody gets it. And when you try to say something that you know nobody else will understand, only I feel this, it really is the thing in music that everybody feels. Yeah, I have to say
0: that I definitely feel that when I'm when I'm listening to the Flaming Lips stuff. Uh, and can't wait to see you all live uh, when that's something that we can do again. Wayne Coyne, thank you so much for stopping by LiveWire. Yeah, well, thank you. It it went great. Thank you so much. That was Wayne Coyne right here on LiveWire. The Flaming Lips new album, American Head, is available now. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We're going to be talking to New Yorker writer Casey Sepp about her really fascinating book, Furious Hours, about a story in Alabama from the 1970s That Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, had started a book on but could never quite get finished. We're going to hear what happened with that. Then we're going to hear some stand-up comedy from the very funny Mateo Lane, who will explain why he thinks being a pharmacist is not a real job, although for the record, we do not agree. (laughs) We think pharmacist is a very real job that we very much need, so don't get at us, pharmacists. Uh, Then we're going to hear some music from the incredible Samantha Crane. Also, we're going to be getting your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we going to ask the listeners for next week's show?
2: Next week's question, what unfinished project vexes you the most?
0: Mm. You know, I'm looking at the script, and i that's the first time I've seen vex and not vax. I think my brain <laughs> immediately misread what the question was to the audience. I'm
2: not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm an anti-vexer. No. I hate unfinished <laughs> projects that vex me, sorely vex me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So if you have a project that has been vexing you because you can't seem to finish it, please do contact us on social media. Give us your answers. Uh, we are pretty much everywhere on social media at the handle Live Wire Radio. That is going to do it for this episode of LiveWire. A huge thanks to our guests, Daisy Hernandez and Wayne Coyne of The Flaming Lips. Also, special thanks to Michael Ivins for mixing that version of Do you realize from inside the space
2: bubble? LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melody Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Jennifer Vo is our social media manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer.
0: Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Travis Spokes of White Plains, New York. For more information about our show or how you can catch our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.